we're glad that you are here, and we appreciate what you've done for us. A couple of announcements. I'll remind you, first of all, the boys and girls in grade school, we do have kids on worship, and they just went down the hallway. Somebody else will help you if you need to go there. Underneath the seats, these used to be in the back of the pews. We got rid of the pews, and I keep forgetting to remind people of them. But it's great to have a record of each family's attendance in our services, and you fill out what we call our friendship registration. You can leave it in that booklet, or you can uh, drop it in the offering box in the foyer uh, when you leave today. Uh, won't send you any bills. Might send you an announcement or two of something if I have your address. Uh, I do send out a weekly devotional thought uh, for people on the mailing list. Uh, and, but it, it's great to have records of names and numbers and those kinds of things um, to help us know each other better and serve each other better. In the bulletin, there's several announcements also to bring your attention. I remind you that um, this is the season for uh, bring, filling up a baby bottle for what was the Caring Pregnancy Center is now the premier choice for women. And I'm almost getting down to that, but uh, they ask you to take that bottle and uh, fill it with your change, uh, whether it's quarters, nickels, dimes, $100 bills, checks made out to uh, the premier's women, whatever, uh, and bring it back by um, Father's Day. If you bring them back and drop them in that bassinet, we'll pick them up after the service and put them in the safe, and uh, Martha will take them to uh, premier women uh, for us. I uh, appreciate you being a part of that very uh, vital ministry here in our community. Thank you again, all who participated yesterday in the hospitality as we gathered together to celebrate the life of uh, Tammy Vitale. Appreciate your hospitality, your grace. The family appreciates it, and uh, several of them are here today, and we appreciate that very much. Um, the project I've been announcing, the re-roofing of the camp, uh, our Grace International campgrounds, dorms, and chapel, uh, planning on doing it I'll be in, beginning a week from tomorrow on June the 5th. And uh, appreciate those who've said that they would come and help. And uh, I've ordered the roofing. It'll be delivered. There's only 100 square to be taken off and put back on. Only. So... Uh, Help will be appreciated. Take note of the other announcements that are there and opportunities to be blessed. I once read it in Hollywood, there was an exclusive school attended by children of movie stars and producers and directors as back in the 1980s. They were asked to write a composition on the subject of poverty. One little girl started her literary, literary piece this way. Once there was a poor little girl. Her father was poor. Her mother was poor, her governess was poor, her chauffeur was poor, her butler was poor. In fact, everybody in the house was very, very poor. I don't think the little rich girl had a proper perspective of what poverty was all about. One of my favorite stories about perspective is a letter addressed to mom and dad from their daughter attending college. Dear mom and dad, I'm sorry to be so long in writing. Unfortunately, all my stationery was destroyed the night our dorm was set on fire by demonstrators. I'm out of the hospital now, and the doctors say my eyesight should return sooner or later. 
The wonderful boy, Bill, who rescued me from the fire, kindly offered to share his little apartment with me until the dorm was rebuilt. He comes from a good family, so you won't be surprised when I tell you we're going to get married. In fact, since you always wanted a grandchild, you'll be glad to know that you'll be grandparents next month. <laughs> P.S. Disregard the above practice in English composition. There was no fire. I haven't been in the hospital. I'm not pregnant, and I don't even have a steady boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in chemistry, and I just wanted to be sure you received this news in the proper perspective. <laughs> perspective makes a difference. Perspective is a good reason why I feel the Lord has had us begin a series of studies in the book of Genesis, uh, the book of Beginnings, uh, a study we started, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, and we're all the way to the middle of chapter 2. Genesis gives us a God view of the Bible, of the world, a biblical view of the world. Moses wrote the book of Genesis because he has led a couple of million people out of Egypt. They've been in Egypt now for 400 years, several generations removed from Joseph and uh, all of that. But Egypt was a land where everything was a god. They had a sun god, they had a river god, they had a, a moon god. I mean, they had gods for everything. People were gods, things were gods. And so when Moses brings the children of Israel to Mount Sinai and God begins to give them the law and the, the rules for living in their culture, and they spend a couple of years there, Moses is inspired to write the history of the primeval world up to their point in time. And in doing that, he wants them to understand there is one God and only one. And it's the God in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. It's all about God. 35 times in the first chapter, we read the name God. 20 times in the second chapter, we read a second name for God. It's all about God. We've talked about the six days of creation and the seventh day of rest. And we talked last week about God came down and with his hands, even though he doesn't have a body, it talks about with his hands, he formed man from the dust of the earth, created mud, clay, and then breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. Today we're going to back up a bit as Moses goes on in chapter 2, and he kind of goes back to day 6 and talks in more depth about the creation of that man. So beginning in verse 18, chapter 2, Then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, I remember reading in chapter 1, six times, God said, and it was, and God said it was good. Six times, it was good. And on the seventh day, when he rested, he said, it is all very good. But now when Moses starts to go back and recap day six, there was a point in the middle of day six when God said, it's not good. 
It's not good. And take note of who said it's not good. It was not Adam complaining. It was God who looked and said, it's not good that man should be alone. I think perhaps it has to do with the fact that God said, let us make man in our image, and man alone did not show the image of God. And we'll talk more about that as we go. Verse 19, Now to the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Pause here for another moment. In chapter 1, who named day and night? God. Elohim. He put the sun, he called the sun, but he put that luminary. He called it day, he put the moon, he called it night. I want you to see the authority that Adam was created with. God brought all of the creatures to him that God had created. And God said to Adam, I want you to name them. You see, man was created to rule, to have dominion with God in partnership over this planet that God created for us to live on. Adam gave them appropriate names. Now there's a myth that the first human beings were unsophisticated. They were not fully developed. Cavemen who grunted at one another and etched things, little pictures on the walls of caves. There are even some Christian authors who want you to believe that, that Adam was a wild man bent on proving his masculinity. That's not the picture that I read. I read God comes and said, hey, we're in partnership here, and this is what I want you to do. Give them an appropriate name. And he contemplated their nature, their characteristics, and he gave them a name. And we don't see any place where God said, uh, that's not a good name. Let's try this one. <laughs> Verse 20, the man gave names to all livestock and to the bird of the heavens and to every beast. Somebody said, what about the cavemen? That's a whole other sermon. But I want you to think about the homeless people you see all over the United States today. Those people that lived in the caves were the people who walked away from God, destroyed their mind, destroyed their bodies with feeding their own pleasures. When Adam was created... Okay, back to the Wolverine. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So as I said a moment ago, Moses is retreating back to day six. And so I'm going to go back to day six and read verse 26 and 27 from chapter one. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, I told you God created us to have dominion. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, in this chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, we read the word man several times. But in the Hebrew, we would not read that word man. There's a different word that keeps appearing. The first time, this word right here, I want you, it looks like Adam. It looks like Adam the Hebrew alliteration of the word. But I want us to think of it more in this terms, of Adam, Adon. Because when you think of Adam, we think of the man running the cameras upstairs right now, <laughs> Adam Newton, the man who grows hair. And um, I don't want you to think about him. I want you to think about Adam, which means that this is a humankind. This is a earthling. This is a human being. This is a homo sapien. In verse 26, the word for man, Adam, is not gender specific. It is God saying, let us create or make beings that will inhabit this planet that we've hung in this corner of the universes that make up this, everything around here, and we're going to call them humankind. So God created man or humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now I'm going to repeat this over and over because I want you to have the proper perspective because there's somebody trying to mess up the perspective. God created Adam in his own image, male and female. Humankind created in the image of God. Created in the image of God. Humankind. Is Moses writing here that, that God is six foot six, 240 pounds, and muscular? Created in this image? John, Jesus told us in John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not confined in a body like you and I live in. Seems to me the psalmist said not even the heavens can contain him because of his omnipresence. When it says we're created in his image, I think it has more to do with our character traits that God wants us to have and to share in common with him. Our inner person, our inner nature, things like truth and holiness and, and love and justice and wisdom and the ability to rule, the ability to reason and make decisions. Humankind created in the image of God. God is neither male nor female. God is neither male or female. Though in the Bible is referred to most often as he. Jesus said, call him our father. There are numerous 
places in the Scripture where there are references to God's characters and nature that are more feminine in nature than masculine. You see, God has a full spectrum of the characteristics, both masculine and feminine. Now, I'm not going to side with the radical feminist and tell you that you should start referring to God as she, because Jesus said, call him Father. But as we read the Scripture, you'll discover God has the characteristics of both a male and a female who together were created in the image of God. There's some words in um, the Old Testament that would refer to God. The first one is God as a womb. As a womb. In Job 38, 29, God speaking to Job near the end of the ordeal, refers to himself as the womb from which ice and frost were created. In Deuteronomy 32, 18, he said to them, you were mindful of the rock who bore you. You were unmindful of the rock who bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. How many men are thankful that it's women who give birth? <laughs> there would not be seven billion people on the planet if men gave birth. <laughs> Isaiah 46, 3 and 4 God references the fact that Israel had been carried from the room, referring to himself in his dealings with his chosen nation. When we think about womb, the womb of a female, it's a place of creation. It was put there for creation to take place. Creation itself is recorded in Genesis chapter 1 as like a womb setting. The first couple um, verses of the Bible, the, the world was a dark place covered with water. Genesis 1-2 said, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering. That's my understanding that in the Hebrew language, there's not very many words that are uh, in feminine. Now, I took Spanish. I don't pay that much attention to English, but in Spanish, you had to be careful what prefix you used before a word because the words were gender-specific. And Hebrew, most of it is not that, but here, hovering is a feminine word. Ratzaf. The Spirit of God hovering. And that's a feminine word. That word hovering is very closely related to the Hebrew word rechem, which means the womb. God hovering. I think of some mothers who Okay. The second word is nursing, as in a mother feeding. Isaiah 66, for thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream, and you and you shall nurse you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one who is mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 
God says, I'm going to be a mother to you as I bring you back from Babylon and restore you. God refers, or God is referred to as a midwife in Psalms 22, 9 through 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Psalm 71, 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Remember reading the story of Exodus. Israelite women had midwives that would come and help them with the birth of the child. And here in the Psalms, God is pictured as the midwife. On occasion, Jesus even likened himself to a female hen, female chicken, as a mother hen would gather her chicks. So I would have gathered you. The Bible teaches that God, our creator, our father, he's our protector, our provider. He's the one who nurtures and cares for us, even as a mother comforts us. God is strong. God is tender. Genesis 17.1, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, I was introduced someplace on a study on this and, and where we talk about this name of God. Uh, so far in Genesis, we've talked about Elohim, the creator of God. We've talked about Yahweh, the I am, that I am God connected with Elohim. And in G Genesis 17.1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. God Almighty. Hebrew alliteration of that is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Some of us are old enough to remember when Amy Grant first became famous singing El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Yonda Adonai. I don't remember the rest of the words. Uh, but uh, how many agree that God is all-powerful? God Almighty. There's nothing that God cannot do. There's no power greater than He is. Omnipotent is the word that comes to mind. But I came to understand something about this word Shaddai. That word that's translated in strong concordance as Almighty comes from the root word Shad, which appears 18 times in the Bible as breast. When God said to Abraham, then to Isaac and to Jacob, I am El Shaddai, he was saying far more than I'm really, really strong. He was saying, I'm your source for total sufficiency. I'm your source for total sufficiency. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan wrote in one of his books, the idea of almightiness is present. But it's not fully expressed in the word El, which stands for God. The word Shaddai goes further and suggests perfect supply, perfect comfort. We should reach the idea better by rendering God all bountiful, God all sufficient. To gather sustenance and consolation from the bosom of God is to be made strong for all the pilgrimage. Shaddai El Shaddai presents God as the breasted one. Andrew Jukes applies this metaphor. His almightiness is of the breast, that is, of bountiful, 
self-sacrificing love, giving and pouring itself out for others. Therefore, he can quiet the restless as the breast quiets the child. Therefore, he can nourish and strengthen as the breath nourishes. Therefore, he can attract as the breast attracts when we are in peril of falling from him. God is neither male nor female. He's all in all. And we are created in his image. Let's go back to Adam. Adam means mankind, humankind. Looking again at verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep. The first surgery. Anesthesia. Deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs... Selah took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. Ribs, Selah. That ribs is just one translation of that word. It could be rendered side. And some scholars want you to believe that God took the whole side and made a woman from his side and closed up that side. It's, that word is used when we speak about the side of the Ark of the Covenant when they were going to make it and overlay it with gold. It talks about the walls of the temple, the, they call it the side. So in verse 21, what we have is the splitting of Adam. We have the splitting of Adam. God created Adam and said it's not good that he was alone, and so he split him. The splitting of humankind. Verse 22, in the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Verse 24, now here's another word for man, another Hebrew word. Therefore a man, Ish, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, Isha, and they shall become one flesh. Man, Ish, not Adam, but Ish, shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, Isha, and they shall become one flesh. Something very significant happened between verse 21 and verse 24. Adam has been split apart. Humankind is no longer Adam. Now we have Ish, male, Isha, female, and the two form one Adam. You get that? It takes two, an Ish and Isha, to make one Adam created in the image of God. Neither the male nor the female represents the full image of God. Each one of us, male and female, depicts some of the attributes of God, and in some cases uniquely so. But neither one of us, of these two genders, of which there are only Neither one represents the full image of God. Now, for those of you who are single, for whatever reason, please know the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can be what you need to walk in the complete image of God. He talks about being the father to the orphans and the mother to the orphans. He talks about being the spouse to the widower, the widower. Jesus and his holiness can bring to us a completeness where we can fulfill the purpose that he's put us here on this planet for. We'll talk more about that at the end of the message today. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created it. 
male and female, he created them. Now, we've talked, we talk quite often about the Trinity. We believe in the triune God. And many times we picture it with this triangle. Here's God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three in one. You can't really separate them, three distinct ministries, three distinct persons, but they're all one. We take that by faith because God said it. You don't see the word Trinity in Scripture, but you talk about, you see Father God, Father Son, or Son, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit numerous times. The Trinity. To be built, or for God created marriage to be in that same image. God at the top, and a husband and a wife in this Trinitarian relationship. You want your marriage to thrive, make sure that God is number one in both of your lives. When I'm doing marriage counseling, I draw this, this, this triangle, and then I move the husband and the wife a little closer to God. And what happens when they get closer to God? It's not rocket science. When they get closer to God, they're automatically closer to one another. In the image of God. The family. God created the family. And he created it with the dad, the father, to be the head of the household. Not to be the Lord, but to be the head of protector provision. Mom and kids. And God ultimately at the top. But in the image of God, this triune thing. That's the way God intended for life to be. This is the Bible definition of marriage. And because it is in the image of God, we dare not change it. This is the Bible definition of marriage. And because it's the image of God, we dare not change it. Again, reading verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man. Adam should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So, when God said humankind needs a helper, I want you to notice he did not go out and create another Adam just like him. He took the original model, split it, made two parts from the one. He divided Adam into male and female. Verse 21 says, But for Adam there was found, not found a helper or azer, an azer. That's that Hebrew alliteration of the or that's the English alliteration of the Hebrew word for helper, fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, Adam, humankind, and while he slept, God, man didn't have anything to do with it, God took one of his ribs, closed up the place with flesh. There was a rabbi in the third century AD by the name of Samuel bar Naaman, who described this scene like this. There's a description, I'm not saying it's what it was, but this is how he, God created Adam facing both ways. Then he sawed him in two and made backs for each figure. That's the way he, he, he figured it. 
Now, there's some great significance, in my opinion, as to what happened while Adam was fast asleep. Remember, Adam was created from the dust of the earth. He was not spoken into existence like the other creatures. God formed him from the dust, from the mud, breathed into him, he became a living soul. Eve was created from Adam, or Adam. God took a rib, his side, however you want to interpret it, from Adam's DNA. God fashioned woman from a part of that man, part of that person. She was created from his flesh, from his bone. Her femaleness, her estrogens were shaped and constituted from him. She perfectly shared the image of God. God created Adam, male and female, he created them. The woman's creation out of Adam is the basis for her equality. And all the women said, And the men should say the same. Puritan preacher and scholar Matthew Henry, many people have Matthew Henry commentaries. Almost every preacher I know, that was one of the first commentaries you, you bought was Matthew Henry. He said of woman, she's not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him and under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, brought it to the man. Then the man, Adam, said this, at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, Isha, because she was taken out of man, Ish. Therefore, for this reason, a man, Ish, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, Isha, and they shall become one flesh. We hear a whole lot in our culture today, somebody's looking for their soulmate, or I've found my soulmate. There's this inner realization, there's inner drive, part of how God created us, a longing to be whole, to be rejoined with what would be the other half of us, male and female, he created us. We're longing for that completeness, God's design, God's image being made complete. But for Adam, there was not found a azar to fit him. Now, there are many people who've read this scripture, and they've interpreted it like this. God saw that man was probably not going to be able to make it on by himself and take care of himself. So he made a helper to do the cooking and the laundry. The Lord. <laughs> Some read this that she is a helper, so she's subordinate to the man. Fact is, that's what Jewish men fought for centuries. I don't know if they still prayed it, but I'm told that the Jewish man would pray. Every day, thank God I was not born a Gentile or a woman. And they would treat women like a piece of property. Jesus, you know, it's interesting how many women are mentioned in Jesus' ministry. He elevated them. He let them out. Paul said, there's neither male nor female 
in the kingdom. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Azer, the word helper or help meet, is not a word denoting inferiority or subordination. It is not a word denoting inferiority or subordination. And I say that because it's a word that is used numerous times throughout the Scripture to talk about God. For example, in Psalms 121, 1 and 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My azer comes from the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. Now, what comes to your mind when you say, my help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth? Does that make you think about somebody subordinate? Does that sound like an apprentice standing next to the carpenter, and the carpenter said, would you please hand me my drill, hand me my hammer? No, when we're talking about the Lord who made the heavens and the earth being my helper, he's the one who has all the power. He's the one who's going to take care of the situation. He's Yahweh. I am that I am. And Moses had children. We read these words about how he named his children. His second son, we'll just talk about his second son just briefly. And the name of the other, his second son was Eliezer. Azer, Eli, refers to God. Azer, help. He said, the God of my father was my help. He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Does that sound like some weak sister? Some flunky? Not by any stretch of the imagination. God who opened the Red Sea and closed it again. The function of the helper as God intended it would be complementary to man. A helper fit for him. Literally like opposite him. Or according to his opposite. The woman would be a corresponding counterpart. As a counterpart, she would share in his nature. Like the pistons are made for the cylinder, so man, male, and female are made for each other in the image of God. She would supply what was lacking from him and vice versa. I have a whole lot more points to make about this. <coughs> but not today, because when I got to this point in my preparation, I could see I was not quite half done. And I can see some of you are already more than half done. So I'll save it for next week. But as I was praying about my mind went to Ephesians 5, where Paul quotes Moses' words. In Ephesians 5:31, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. The union of man and woman was a picture of of the great marriage of Christ and the church. The dividing of Adam into male and female has spiritual 
ramifications. God said it's not good for Adam to be alone because it was not a portrayal of God's ultimate plan for humankind to have the opportunity and the privilege of oneness with Him. The Bible starts with a marriage. Do you know how time will end and how the Bible ends? With a marriage. Where the bride, us, will be married to the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He's the groom and we are the bride. But between now and then, and especially right now today, I want to consider God's statement, it's not good for man to be alone, from the context of Jesus speaking to the disciples on the night before he was crucified in John chapter 14. Verse 16 of John 14, he said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another He'll give you what? He'll give you a helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. I have one application point today. Just one. I'm giving you a lot of information, I hope, it will help you in how you perceive the world a biblical worldview, a biblical view of marriage. But the application point is, has to do with submitting ourselves to the helper. Submitting ourselves to the helper. Jesus is making it very clear. Gentlemen, I do not intend for you to live in the power of your own strength. I do not intend for you to live by your own wisdom, your own understanding. I do not intend for you to fulfill the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself by your own power, or to fulfill the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel by your own faculties. I'll send a helper, and he will be in you. That same helper that we read about in Psalms 121. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In Ephesians 5, a little earlier in that chapter, we read, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Earlier we sang, waiting here for you, with our hands lifted high in praise, waiting here for you. Verse 3 says, you're everything you've promised. Your faithfulness is true. We're desperate for your presence. All I need is you. The lifting of hands can mean more than one thing. We lift our hands and declaring something is praiseworthy. We are Kelso. We're number one. That's where I'm from. Interesting that Kelso and Longview schools play each other, and it doesn't matter who's winning, they both say we're number one. <laughs> but they're giving honor and praise to something they have. A, sometimes we throw up our hands in great delight or great surprise when something wonderful and unexpected happens. You just throw up your hands. But when we sing... My hands lifted high. I want you to see it more as the universal sign of surrender. I give up the fight. I give up the fight. I submit to your plan. I submit to your will. I submit to your help. We as human beings have a terrible propensity to try to be self-sufficient. Try to manipulate things. Sometimes I think we even try to manipulate God. Passive-aggressive behavior. What I felt so strongly a few hours ago as I was praying for this service is that today there's some individuals, maybe it's just me, who need to stand before the Lord and say, I submit. Because, you know, being filled with the Spirit, you know how to be filled with the Spirit? It's to surrender yourself to the Spirit every day. To present your body a living sacrifice. Jesus said, I'm sending a helper. In those promises, I heard a promise of peace. Not the kind of peace where everything is going wonderful, but he said, my peace. That kind of peace that in the midst of whatever's going on, I know that I belong to him, he belongs to me, and there's no weapon formed against me that's going to prosper. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. I heard the promise that he would guide us into truth. We would know the right thing to do, the right way to go. If I let the helper help me.
He wants to take away your anxiety today. He wants to take away your fear. The thing you're struggling, trying to manipulate and get somebody else to change, you're not going to change them. So let Him change you. We're going to sing this song again. I want to invite you to stand and I just want you to surrender yourself to the presence of the Lord. I felt that the Lord is wanting some individuals who are trying to trying to manipulate their spouse to be who they want them to be and their marriage is in a difficult place to submit that to the helper. I felt that there's some individuals who are trying to manipulate God in the terms of miracles that they believe that they should get on behalf of somebody in their family. Trust the helper. Because in that struggle, there's anger against God because he's not doing what you want. Today he wants you to wait on him. He wants you to surrender to him because he sent the helper. He sent the helper. You're not alone. He has a purpose. So make it a matter of prayer as we sing together. If faith can move the mountains, let the mountains move. We come with expectation, waiting here for you. Waiting here for you. You love me from the start Waiting here for you With our hands lifted high In praise and it's you is true we're desperate for your presence all we need is you waiting here for you Singing.
of our ability, we want to open our hearts. Jesus. Jesus. Lord, you've come today and you said you send the helper to convict of sin and of righteousness. In other words, to show us those places and times when we are not doing the right thing, but you always come with, here's the right way to go, and there's grace and there's forgiveness. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our, our sins before you, our failures, our shortcomings, those, those moments when we make decisions out of fear and not out of faith. And Lord, I pray that today, I pray today that there would be a fresh awareness. I am not alone. I am not alone. But the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the one who was there hovering over the waters when there was nothing but chaos and darkness, that is the one who walks with me. So we're more than conquerors. Though life may be difficult, we're more than conquerors. Though I might not see the end today, we're more than conquerors. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your peace, for your peace. Those who are suffering from anxiety, Lord, that your peace would be their portion today. Lord, you're the healer. You're the healer. And so, Lord, we just commit all of those individuals today who need that physical healing into your hands. Those that we love and, and we want so badly to just change what's going on in their body, we commit them to you, to your wisdom, to your power. And Lord, I commit every person here today to your grace. We go from this house to be the church of the Lord Jesus where you have planted us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love, your mercies and compassions. They fail not. I give you thanks for all of these things in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a very blessed day and holiday tomorrow.